Welcome to My Friends Don't Know, a podcast about news and politics. I am your host and co-host, Gopi. This is episode number 14, and we're going to start this off with a couple of announcements. First, a friend of mine works for a company called Advanced Care Alliance. They're a care coordination organization, a nonprofit that serves medically fragile and developmentally disabled people. Governor Cuomo wants to cut 16% from their funding. 16% means 25,000 people in New York risk a loss of services and mass layoffs in care coordination organizations across all of New York. There's a petition to fight this. I'll be posting it on all the socials. Uh, If you could support, help some people out, click the link, go to the website. The website is safeguardourlifeline.org. There's a number you call. They'll give you a script of what to say when you ask Governor Cuomo not to go through with this cut. Second thing I wanted to mention was the Fresh Youth Initiatives. Fresh Youth Initiatives, we're going to call them FYI. FYI works with low-income immigrant and first-generation youth uptown in Washington Heights and Inwood. Their principal goal is to assist children and teens to succeed in school, navigate life transitions, get on track for college and career, and to give back to the community with compassion and care. They have a GoFundMe set up right now, set up to donate to a COVID-19 fund. And the board of directors said that they will match all donations through the end of June. An example of how your donation is being used, $50 supplies books for five homebound elementary school children. $100 provides a week of groceries to a family through FYI's emergency food response. $500 supports FYI's remote mental health counseling and crisis intervention for five students. $1,000 keeps students engaged and on track academically with FYI's virtual learning programs. And $5,000 will get needed tech to 10 students who still don't have access to remote learning. Here's what they've been able to do so far. Emergency food delivery, reaching 110 families three times a month. That's 600 people with priority to FYI's households that are unemployed and or undocumented who don't qualify for government assistance. Academic programs, 350 students received weekly academic help and individual tutoring. 520 students received two hours of daily virtual after-school programming. Mental health and wellness, 600 families are receiving mental health and bereavement counseling, wellness checks, and links to housing, unemployment, and other resources. Their outreach team has had daily contact with youth participants and families to assess needs and risk and provide immediate intervention and links to external resources. A good friend of mine is the one who sent me the link to the GoFundMe, my bro Don Smith, who just released an amazing EP, Fire. You can check out Fresh Youth Initiatives. Their IG is at Fresh Youth FYI. 
and their website is freshyouth.org. All right, let's get into this bill that the House just passed this week. The House passed a bill titled the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act of 2020. The bill has provisions to overhaul qualified immunity for law enforcement, prohibitions on racial profiling on the part of law enforcement, and a ban on no-knock warrants in federal drug cases. It would ban chokeholds at the federal level and classify them as a civil rights violation and would establish a national registry of police misconduct maintained by the Department of Justice. However, once the House passes a bill, it goes to the Senate. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has already said he's not bringing the bill to the floor of the Senate for debate. He said the bill is in overreach. Now, it's worth noting Mitch McConnell is a Republican. The Republicans control the Senate. The Democrats control the House. Mitch McConnell is up for re-election this November. He represents Kentucky, who just had a crazy primary election for the Democrat who will run against Mitch McConnell. There's almost 300 bills, I believe, that the House has passed that Mitch McConnell has refused to bring to the Senate floor for debate. He plays politics with people's lives. Those bills he doesn't look at are for things like election security, health care, like protecting people with pre-existing conditions, reducing maternal and infant mortality rates, worker protection bills, climate change. There's so many, almost 300 bills. And the George Floyd bill, unfortunately, will become the latest. For my friends in Kentucky, vote. Vote in November. We need a Senate that will work for the people, not play politics. Okay, every episode, I end it by asking my friends who do know to check me in case I misspoke on anything. And after last week's episode, one of my really, really good friends that became family checked me on something, and we had a great conversation about it, and I asked her if she'd come on as a guest and break it down for the listeners. She is the chief of staff at Equal Justice USA. Equal Justice USA is a national organization that works to transform the justice system by promoting responses to violence that break cycles of trauma. They work at the intersection of criminal justice, public health, and racial justice to elevate healing over retribution, meet the needs of survivors, advance racial equity, and build community safety. So, Cecilia, welcome and thank you for coming on. Thank you, thank you. So, okay, so I guess uh, we could start it um, on what you did check me on, which was me mentioning reform. Mm-hmm. So if you could, um, I guess, take it from there. Yeah, 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 for sure. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. Happy. Um, so for the record, there's nothing wrong with using the word reform. <laughs> um <laughs> I you know there's a lot of people working really hard on reform and they deserve lots of credit. Um, but what I was really checking you on is whether or not you knew that there there's a lot of um, that there's a big difference between reform and transformation of the justice system. Mm-hmm. So and inside of the movement, 
inside of this movement to defund the police and to work towards uh, a systems change, there's different camps, right? Okay. And um, there's a there's a group of people who are working on reform and work really hard to make sure that sentencing is not crazy, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've heard stories where somebody with a couple of bags of weed gets like 15 years or something, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's really unjust. So there's been people working for years. This isn't new, right? For years on adjusting sentencing, um, on adjusting bail reform, right? Okay. Another thing that many just uh, judges do to keep people incarcerated longer is attach crazy bails to like very small crimes, mm-hmm. right? And that's something that there's a huge community and a lot of things like that. It goes on and on and on and just the systemic ways that black and brown people are kept incarcerated uh, for reasons that don't even make sense legally. So that that's the scope of reform. Um, when it comes to police, right, reform looks like we need to get cops training. We need to get body cams. We need uh, to fire all of these bad cops and get more good cops, right? All of those things are inside of the world of reform. Okay. Again, they're not bad. It's just a one side of this movement. Mm-hmm. So the side that I wanted to point to when I hit you up was the transformation side. Inside of transformation and the movement to transform the justice system, it's really around um, the the idea of defunding the police. It's really around the idea of creating community-based systems that would replace these functions that the police have taken on that they're not suited to take on. So it's not about making the police better but replacing the police entirely. That makes sense. Okay. So, so I think it's predicated, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I think it's predicated on the idea that like it's not enough to just dismantle the parts of the justice system that we don't like and that we don't want, but rather building up something completely new that we want in its place. That's sort of if I had to boil it down to like reform versus transform, that would kind of be how I would describe it. So have services so that we would rely on the police less. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's different gradients. Right. There's also a movement that's completely and entirely focused on the the full um, abolition. Right. Movement, just abolishing the police altogether. Um, there's, there's gradients in the middle. They're like, well, we just want to lessen the police present in communities and no longer have them take on roles as if they're social workers and psychiatrists and caseworkers and, you know, youth development work, right? Like all of these calls that people call police for, um, when they have no training inside of these areas around mental health or anything like that. Okay. I'm trying to keep my responses short so I don't ramble on and on. <laughs> but I have a lot to say. I have a lot more to say, but I want, I'm trying to leave you space to ask questions. <laughs> how how do you how do you what's your vision of the role police would play in society? Um I think um there's definitely a road to getting to abolition that I think okay. most people don't realize 
is possible. Um, and I don't think, you know, I think the popular narrative around like why abolition is crazy is like, we can't survive without police, like crime would be all over the street, right? Um, and I think what's important to understand about uh, abolition or even transformation of the justice system mm-hmm. and what that looks like, first of all, it's gradual, okay, right? Uh, so anybody who gives me the argument of like, nah, what about murderers? What about this and that? Like, you know, they're going to run around like crazy people. I'm like, nah, this is not happening tomorrow. There's no world where we just blow up all, you know, police precincts and then figure it out. That's not the way change happens. Uh, this whole defunding movement is the first step, right? It's just about reallocating funds that have been poured into police departments for the last few decades. And it actually has quadrupled over the last 30 years, right? So reallocating those funds that are for what, right? For militarization, for bulletproof vests, for SWAT gear, for these crazy rifles, for all these things that are promoting violence and are exacerbating police reactions to black and brown communities, right? Reallocating those funds towards community-led initiatives, which have been around for a really long time and have historically been been underfunded. There are community-based violence intervention programs. Mm -hmm. There's violence interrupters. There's healing-centered programs. There's all kinds of um, different community initiatives that have been going on for generations. Again, this is not new. Mm -hmm. Just because most people are now talking about it doesn't mean it just started. There have been lots and lots of Black and Brown community members, former gang members, formerly incarcerated peoples, uh, leaders of communities, Black captains, elders, just folks, activists who have dedicated their lives to ensuring that Black and brown communities can sustain themselves. Because the second police are called into these communities to supposedly leak a help, more often than not, something is exacerbated, somebody gets hurt, or worse, somebody dies. And the reason that happens is because, again, police are not equipped to handle the situations that occur. And it could be a a range of situations. It could be mental health. It could be, uh, you know, some long, long standing beef, Mm -hmm. right. That's taking place on a community level. It could be a misunderstanding. It could be, I mean, there's so many different levels of, of, um, I don't, I don't like to call it crime because I feel like that criminalizes black and brown communities, but for lack of a better cause other people harm and the police recognize that as crime Mm -hmm. right what the justice system today does not do it is not focused on anybody's healing it's not focused on anybody's safety and it's definitely not focused on black and brown communities the police have the audacity to proclaim that they are here to protect and serve but i think we can all agree that at this point that's not happening and quite frankly has there ever been a time in our history where the police were protecting and serving black and brown communities. Mm, That is, I mean, we want to take it way, way back. We could, we can talk about the history of police. Why, why do they exist? Right. (laughs) I mean, if people really were to, to 
do their research and really understand the root of this structural racism and this intentional design to oppress black and brown people. This isn't a a soapbox like cry me a river. This is by design. There are facts behind it. The police were literally hired to keep black people who were formerly enslaved to keep them in check and find reasons to incarcerate them. That's literally what happened after 1865. The fact that we're still reaping these consequences, we're still feeling the, the, the impacts of something that was designed only for oppression is not surprising. Now, the problem is, though, most people, maybe not most, I don't know most, I think a lot of people don't know the roots behind it. And so the argument against abolition and against defunding tends to be, well, what about violence? What about crime? What about safety? Which is valid. But there's a really, there's a, there are a lot of people or there are a lot of communities who have already been thinking about this for generations and have been trying to create systems and self, and not trying, have successfully created systems where black and brown communities can sustain themselves and can work in collaboration with police in some, time, in, in some ways. Um, but ultimately where we really look out for ourselves in a very tribal way that's that's honestly more akin to how we function as a people than being over-policed. Right. Yeah, I guess that's the perception. Um, that's where the, I feel like where the resistance is coming from. Mm-hmm. People's perception is that this is going to happen, you know, they're going to sign the legislation and it's going to happen from one week to the next. Right. Nah, that, that's crazy. Rather than defunding, reallocating the money into these programs mm-hmm. for the community and then gradually transforming to a point where, I mean, you know, it'd be great if we didn't need police. Exactly. Transforming into, into that kind of society. Right. The choice is not between policing or nothing. That's crazy. I don't want that world either. Right. Right. But having effective alternatives to policing, that's really what we're talking about. It's the community outreach programs. It's the violence interrupter networks. It's the hospital-based violence intervention. That's a whole big field right there. All of all of these community-led violence strategy, violence prevention strategies, they exist all in cities across the entire country, and they've been successful. They have reduced violence in some places by by sixty percent without any kind of excessive force or any reliance on police and incarceration. Mm. This is, there's, there, there's data to support this. This isn't some like crazy theory. There are highly skilled specialists out, out there who mediate conflicts, who intervene to de-escalate tensions that could exist. They, they connect community members to, to resources that they need so that they can prevent uh, violence. Like, Job, job opportunities, right? Social support, mental health uh, resources. Because let's talk about it. Where does this violence stem from? This is not just a crazy, angry people walking around punching people in the face. Right. This is about job insecurity, food insecurity, 
generational trauma, generational poverty. That is what we're really talking about. That's what leads to this, the, the violence that is seen as, uh, you know, so scary and so this and black and brown people are so dangerous. No, they're not. What they are is feeling the impacts of long-term structural racism. And when you come into these communities waving your gun around and your badge around, which is already triggering, that's going to have a traumatic, you're going to re-traumatize people who have been traumatized now for several generations. Mm. You are not helping the situation. It's real. I'm definitely going to look into um, those communities that you mentioned that, that have already put that into effect and were able to reduce violence. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to look into that and, and speak on it here. Yeah, definitely check out check out Newark, New Jersey. Check out Oakland. Uh, Baton Rouge is starting out a new uh, program. Minneapolis, of course. Like, we, we're all hearing about them in the news. There's mm-hmm. a lot of cities, a lot of cities doing this kind of work. Even here in New York, right? We have a lot of people who are leading community-based programs all over the city. In the Bronx, there's a huge community community. Uh, in the Bronx that works as violence interrupters and doing this kind of work to really make sure we don't need to rely on police because we got each other. Mm. Everybody has that old head, right? From when we were growing up, that old head who would take you aside and be like, yo, what you doing? Mm-hmm. And you would listen because you had that deference for old head. Yeah, You weren't like, nah, chill, get out my face. Like, that, like you might do that to a cop who was, you know, trying to act like they cared about you and you knew that they didn't. But you're not going to do that to old head that everybody respects and who's seen you grow up your entire life. You're not going to do that. That's true. Because And there are organized. Exactly. There's mutual respect. They know where you've been. You respect where they've been. And you're going to have a conversation. And these programs exist, again, all across the country. And they have proven, right? They have proven that they make a difference. There are programs in Chicago where... The, the the cops will actually reach out to these violence interrupters and say, hey, we heard about something going down. Can you can you check it out before we go there? Because we don't you know, we know that you should be the first responders, not us. Mm. And if they can't deescalate. Right. Because, you know, that also happens. Right. In a situation where there is going to be harm. Now, now we're talking about a collaboration. Right. The community-based program steps in, talks to old boy and old girl, and they're like, what's going on? They do what they're trained to do, right? This is not fulano and fulana. These are trained professionals who know how to connect. They talk, they try, and in the event that this, this something's still going to pop off, then the, then the police might need to step in every once in a while. They certainly shouldn't be hurting anybody. They don't need to be putting anybody in a chokehold. They certainly need, don't need to be killing anybody, mm. no matter what they're doing, no matter what a community person is doing. Nobody needs, no cop needs to ever take that kind of force. They can detain them and remove them from a situation so that they no longer are causing harm. Yeah. To do anything beyond that is outside the scope of a police officer and is unacceptable. I think what it really comes down to is people, and this is black and brown people included, right? We need to shift our thinking around what justice means and what accountability means. Because our entire lives, right? And our parents' entire lives and our grandparents' entire lives, we have been taught 
and brainwashed to believing that justice and accountability means punishment. You do something bad, you get a whooping, mm. right? Mm -hmm. You do, you break a rule at school, guess what? Mommy's chancla's coming straight for your forehead, right? We've been taught punishment is what justice is. Some That dude robbed that other dude, pa afuera. 27 years in jail. That's what we've been taught. That's what's right. That's what's just. Justice has prevailed. Now, I'm not saying that people are not harmed. I have been a survivor of harm. I get it. I get it. That shit is deep. That shit is painful. And that shit hurts. And we do need systems to figure out how we decrease the level of harm that has happened in our communities and it continues to happen in our communities. However, the system we have in place now has nothing to do with our healing and our safety. Accountability really needs to focus on the naming of that harm, having people actually name it, see the impacts, work on some kind of behavior change and working on some kind of repair. Our justice system does zero of those things. Our justice system says, copy, you broke this law, now you go away for 20 years, goodbye. You do not learn your lesson, you do not learn what, what impact you breaking that law had, you do not do anything to yourself to better yourself so that you do not commit that same mistake in the future, and you certainly don't make anything better. That's what accountability should be, right? There are, there are centuries-long practices by indigenous communities that completely revolve around restorative justice. I'm sure you've heard this word before. Restorative justice, where you actually take accountability for your action, for whatever harm you cause, you talk about it, you address it, you confront it, you work through it, you work on yourself, you make sure this kind of behavior doesn't happen again. You talk to the person if they're ready. They let you know what they need because of the harm that you caused. It could take years, it could take weeks, it could take a day, but that's restorative justice so that when you come out of that process, there is actual accountability. There is actual behavior change. Our justice system has never in its entire history incorporated anything restorative. And that's a problem. <clears throat> it is. You really broke that down. Don't get me started. Nah, sheesh. don't get me started, copy. <laughs> <laughs> we could definitely go on. Mm -hmm. Nah, I'm gonna have to bring you back on, Sassy. Listen, you gonna have me drinking <laughs> glasses of wine and shit, breaking it down, talking about my ancestors. Listen, word. Um, yeah. So thank you for for coming on and and breaking that down for the listeners. Definitely, definitely. Listen, this is all about... I definitely learned a lot. Well, listen, I'm still learning. We're all still learning. That's what I'm trying to get our people to do more of. Just gather information. Gather information. Liberate your minds. We've been taught to think one way, and we got to expand. We got to unlearn the shit that we've been taught to believe is true. Justice does not equal punishment, and our communities deserve better. And we need to focus on healing the trauma that we've been going through for a really long time. You'll be having mad mic drop moments, yo. <laughs> <laughs> yo, I'm out. <laughs> uh, so to my friends that don't know, I hope this helped keep you informed. 
to my friends that do know, check me, man. Maybe I misspoke. I am your host and co-host, Gopi. Thank you for tuning in. I'll see y'all next week.